0: Welcome to Feed Your Health, a weekly podcast with your host, Morgan Shepard, where we'll be taking a deep dive into the big dial movers of health, focusing on movement, nutrition, and stress management. You'll get tangible takeaways, tactical knowledge, and exclusive stories to inspire and empower you on your transformational health journey. Let's get thriving welcome to the podcast so today i have a special guest that i'm excited to have on and her name is patty mcmahon and she is a coach on helping people navigate alcohol and figuring out whether or not they might have a challenge with it or how they could approach maybe becoming sober curious so we're going to talk a lot about that and like how to handle that so tell me for my listeners patty introduce yourself
1: Okay. Um, well, my name is Patty McMahon, but I uh, started PMAC Insights on Wellness about a year ago when I was when I quit drinking alcohol. I started learning all of this awesome information that really sparked and fueled how I used to think about alcohol versus the truth, and I just couldn't stop writing about it. And so I started writing on Medium.com. And uh, that led to people reaching out and saying, wow, I never knew. How do I, what do I do next? Or how do I, how can you help me? (laughs) And so I kind of like started this coaching practice to help people take a closer look at their relationship with alcohol. um, So they can like live more of a fulfilled life. And so one of the big points of, I think, our life is that we're trying to live, we're trying to be our best selves. And so we do that with our wellness habits. We try to work out, eat right, exercise, live socially, explore. And one of the things that I think most people kind of put on the back burner is taking a look at our alcohol consumption, whether or not that means that we quit, cut back, or how is it really, what is it doing for us anymore? Because in the beginning it's fun. You have fun drinking and having a good social life. But there comes a point where you're going, are my habits really supporting my wellness routines? And so that's when I started, that's what I work with, with my clients.
0: That's really awesome. I've I've had my own little journey with alcohol where you know, I joined some clubs that were there were big into athletics, but they were also really big partiers. And the balance of trying to do both of those is just not successful. And realizing that the drinking was affecting my my performance, but also just like daily life. That that was a big game changer for me. What do you find is the most easiest way to like lead into figuring out how alcohol is affecting your life and like Mm -hmm. how to handle that?
1: Yeah. So for me, I think it will, first of all, it's like a personal journey. It's a personal relationship that you have. And so I think one of the key things to think about is getting curious with yourself, um, on what you like, not necessarily what the pressures of society are like or your peer of influence or the gym you go to with a bunch Mm. of partiers. (laughs) So like in my own experience, when I knew I was ready to quit drinking, it was like, okay, so I'm like over a year alcohol-free now. But it was like six years ago when I became a mom, I started to really question and be like, how can I have my cake and eat it too? Because parenting, I'm now not just responsible for myself, I'm responsible for these little humans I'm creating and and helping raise, like it's a big responsibility and it takes a lot of energy. Um, I was also a teacher, an educator in a public school system and I started right at the pandemic, which was very stressful. And so I had been trying to figure out how to moderate with alcohol and make these limits and rules around it. And I always like I felt like a failure every time that I couldn't do that. And so on one hand I knew like, oh this is a problem. But on the other hand, I was like, this is mommy's wine time. This is what everybody does. You come home, you de stress, you relax with a glass of wine in hand. So it was like mixed messaging for me. And I really wanted both worlds. Yeah. And it kind of came to a head when I was Googling well, it came to a head when my husband came home with the kids, and I didn't want to get off the couch. I just wanted to, like, sit there with my glass of wine, and I'd already had maybe a couple glasses by the time they got home, and he had said, man, Mom, mommy sure likes her wine these days. And I was mad when he, told, wow. when he said that, especially in front of the kids, but it really was kind of the start of me being like, okay, this is a problem and I need help, but I didn't feel like an alcoholic. So I was like, what do I do? And so I, I was actually Googling, am I an alcoholic and how to quit drinking without going to rehab? And I didn't know what else to do because i didn't feel like an alcoholic and i didn't want to go to AA because i didn't need it to get through the day but it's like it started becoming the thing that i just wanted to do so a program showed up on my facebook feed and it was like a 21 day challenge and i joined and it really opened up my world to like this it's almost like a sober movement an alcohol-free movement that's happening and it's a different way to look at alcohol. So it's not just so black and white. Yes, there are people who have very severe problems with alcoholism that require medical facilitation to help mm-hmm. quit drinking. But there's also this like other group of people, other areas that are not like that. So through Quitlet, podcasts different groups. I started learning and writing and exploring and really just trying to educate people about all of these things that I was learning.
0: I feel like there's this big stigma around people being labeled mm-hmm. as alcoholics. And so we yeah. forget like normal people can still have challenges with alcohol. We even without being in that extreme end, you know? Like you said, there's like a gray A gray area and like i know for my my family has a large challenge with drinking and it's a lot of what their social life is built on and i feel like a lot of society has that built in i mean you you go to like a home goods store and you see those signs that say you know it's wine time have a glass of wine sit down with wine it's all focused on promoting this idea that that's what we should be doing and I feel like yeah. people have challenges with that.
1: Yeah, that mixed messaging. And that's where like, you know, the belief systems that we have surrounding alcohol are are about that, like celebrating, relaxing. You know, I thought it was the way to wind down for the yeah. evening. And really what I learned right off the bat was actually alcohol doesn't isn't doing what I think it's doing because alcohol is a depressant and that doesn't mean you immediately become depressed. It's depressing your central nervous system. So your brain and your spinal cord, where all of the information gets spread out to the rest of your body, that system gets slowed down and your brain's job is to keep you alive. And so how it does that, when you have a depressant in your body, it's like, uh oh, we got to amp stuff up because we're slowing down too much. we this is not good. So it pumps you full of stimulants and other and hormones like cortisol, the stress hormone mm-hmm. to like match that level. But the depressant wears off and then the stimulants actually are still lingering there. And so often when people feel like this energy after having a, a beer, cause you get relaxed and then all of a sudden you're like, I feel like doing yeah. something else guys. Let's stick, let's keep this going. Then you often go for another drink, which fills up your cup with a depressant, fills your body with a depressant. Your brain recognizes that and gives you more stimulants and hormones. And then it goes down. And so it becomes this dance until there's other things going on physiologically. And in my, in my own 21-day challenge, we kind of talk about that whole process of what's happening to your body when you drink because it's also trying to shut you down
0: yeah.
1: as well as keep you awake. So it's really confused. And then (laughs) you think that you're relaxing yourself, but you're actually making your system stressed out, literally. It's releasing cortisol everywhere, which is what signals the stress response system to start happening in your body. And so I don't know about you, but I used to wake up at, like, 2 or 3 in the morning after a night of drinking. And it felt like my brain had a cup of coffee, and I just really couldn't go back to sleep. So I'd do the whole, like, please go to sleep. I have a big day tomorrow. I promise I won't do this again and feel like regret and shame that I had had that last glass. And it's just because my brain or your brain is doing what it's supposed to be doing to keep you alive. The yeah. other thing about that relaxing where you think alcohol relaxes me, it's your brain gets used to this ritual. You, you put yourself in, even if you just have, you go out on Friday nights or Friday nights, your thing, your brain recognizes that that's your drinking pattern and so it actually stores up it starts to store up these chemicals to prepare for battle because it's no it knows it's coming and then what happens when your workload just gets really stressful or or your kids are sick and you have to come home and not do your your work or something happens in your day and then you have this like stress built up already chemically in your in your brain? you want to reach for a drink sooner than your Friday. And over time, it just starts becoming a pattern and a habit. Yeah. So challenging that thought of alcohol actually relaxes me. And when you look at the facts and understand what's physiologically happening, it's almost like, well, that's not really true anymore. Mm-hmm. It is for 20 minutes, but in the like long run of my wellness Program of my life, of how I want to show up as my best self, it really isn't serving me anymore to put myself in that situation. Totally. And so, really, for me, I think understanding more about this substance and what it's doing to my body makes me go, oh, okay, so how do I get out of this? And that just because that's what alcohol does to everyone, it's not just alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And so, another thing that is challenged about the term alcoholic itself is medical doctors since 2015, 2016 have shifted from labeling people as alcoholics to sort of looking at it more as a spectrum. So it's called the alcohol use spectrum. So even if you don't drink, you're on it. You're at the zero level, which is abstinence. And then depending on how much you drink and in what situations you kind of go up the the spectrum and you can, depending on life circumstances, you could be anywhere on the spectrum, up or down, but nobody just goes from zero to alcoholism. It's kind of like a gradual growth over time. And at the very end of it is the alcohol use disorder. And in that spectrum is where we think of like this is a huge problem for my life. Alcohol is something that I want to always be doing. Can't seem to stop drinking. I'm having physical effects from it. Medical things happening. And so that's actually on like a, a severity level of like hot sauce. So there's mild, medium, and severe or the hot and spicy part where you really need some medical attention. But most doctors say a lot of people who have problems with alcohol aren't even on that side. They're they're just before it. And so that's where gray area drinking comes in. And gray area drinking is that that phase when I think most people are kind of starting to get more aware about themselves. It's like those point when, like myself, when you were, when I was setting rules and not being able to stick to them or waking up and worrying about what your actions, what did I do last night? Why am I on the couch again? Did I say something wrong again? <laughs> You know, like where you're kind of working backwards about like what happened. Gray area drinking like a red flag for it is maybe you're saying you're finding it hard to stay alcohol free for a long period of time, like more than like a month. If you want to do a dry month and it's so hard. Uh, of course, I know it was hard. I've tried a couple of those before I got it right. But Or you get sneaky like you wrap your wine bottles in the Target bag a couple times so it doesn't clink when you put it in the trash can. Or often some people will, like, pre-frunk secretly and have a couple glasses before they go out to ease the edge and then pretend like it's their first one, you know. Or even, like, your priorities change. So maybe you only went out and socially drank, and you did that quite often, but then you find yourself actually wanting to stay home and drink or the activities that you used to enjoy just aren't appealing anymore. Like all of these are red flags for gray area drinking. And when you start kind of noticing those things, that was the point where I was like, okay, am I an alcoholic and how do I get help? And so what I work with my clients on is getting curious You start by getting curious about your drinking. So you'll do reflection questions like, what is it that I think this drink is doing for me? And what do I like about it? Is it the glass? Is it actually the feeling of alcohol? Or is it the time that I'm taking for for me? What do I not like about drinking? And why is it that I'm thinking about stopping? What do I believe this is doing for me? Yeah. And by really getting to know what it is that you are feeling, you start owning your relationship with alcohol and you start separating out that I feel like it's the way to relax or the way to socialize. You start getting more intimate with your relationship and you start getting more comfortable being curious. And so I think that's the starting point is wondering, what is this doing for me? Is it serving me anymore? And maybe what else can I try to? I love that.
0: That's very similar to like the way that I help my clients like move out of overeating and emotional eating, because like I have them take that period of like, okay, let's get really aware of what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we believe about why we're doing certain things. So I love that you have those like questions that start to get people thinking.
1: Yeah, and then I'd say after that, you really got to, like, try to figure out how to change up your habits and your routines, and by that, you, like, surf the urge. So, my routine ended up being, I think I had lots of drinking routines, but the main one was coming home from work, I'd be thinking about wine the whole way home, driving in my car, and I'd open the door, open the wine, pour the glass put the lasagna in the oven and sit on the couch and watch an hour of mama's shows before everybody came home. And I'd get up to check on the food and pour more wine in my glass. So I'd have like a glass and a half before everybody got home. Then I would pretend like I didn't and pour another one. (laughs) And then I just want to sit there on the couch and like kind of disconnect and detach From my day, which meant my family also, because it didn't have much. I didn't have anything to give after teaching. Mm -hmm. It was like all this decision fatigue happened, and I really didn't have the brain capacity. So when I'm looking at that whole situation of coming home in that routine, it's like, what can I do different? I can't quit my job, so I can't deal with that. Mm -hmm. But I, what can I do differently so I'm not drinking and. Um I did things like I took a different route home so it changed up that pathway that was created. When I got home instead of pouring wine, I would immediately walk in the door and pour a ch- tart cherry kombucha and um yeah and lean in and listen to a podcast while I was cooking instead of getting on the couch and and watching TV and And so I made these intentional habits throughout my day and then it became the new habit that I could like rely on that I got familiar with. And I knew it was working when two weeks went by and I was craving that tart cherry kombucha. Like, oh, I I can't wait to go home to have that refreshing drink. And I was like, whoa, what? That's like a total shift right there. And so By looking at your habits um, and trying to figure out where you shift, we also do that in the 21-day challenge. You explain the habit loop and you become like the trigger spotter of like, okay, what can I do to cultivate a different environment? And it might be replacing your drink. It might be doing my favorite, which is playing the movie forward, because Mm -hmm. um, when you have an urge to do something, it usually only lasts for about 20 minutes. If you don't feed it with more thinking about it and you don't feed it with entertaining, would it? So playing the movie forward is a process to get you through that, to think through and disrupt the automaticity when you're automatically reaching for a drive. You know what I mean?
0: I did. Yes.
1: (laughs) Your autopilot routine where you're like, I want to drink and you grab it and you drink it. So by pausing and going, okay, wait a second, what will happen when I drink that? Okay. I'll feel good for 20 minutes and then I will want some more. And then I'll pour some more and, and then what will happen, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you play your, your movie forward throughout the rest of the evening into the next day for as long as you need to, to realize I don't want that in my body. and. And you shift that way. So that's one of my favorite surf the urge strategies, but I'm happy to pass along to your audience the 10 strategies to try before opening the bottle. So yep. there's other things in there that will help support the idea of creating space between you and the habit of drinking.
0: That's totally relatable because when I coach clients to like, I think of the uh, the working out in the morning example because I'll be laying in bed Knowing that I need to go do this workout, but not wanting to, because it's cold, I don't want to get out of bed, whatever the, the situation is. But what I do is I basically run through what will happen if I don't go do this workout. How am I going to feel? You know, I'm going to be mad at myself I didn't do it. I'm not going to get in a workout. I'm going to feel guilty the rest of the day, and it will perpetuate because if I miss one, I'm most likely I'm going to miss the next one. So I totally relate to that, like playing the movie forward thing, really helping.
1: Yeah. It's a, and it's a fun one to use too for the opposite. So you can use it like for good things. So once you get your habit dialed in to your alcohol-free habit, you can start you'll have this like pent up energy and you'll want to go explore and do new things. And so for me, it was running. I wanted to go out and run and I'd be like, but I can't do that. And so I'd play the movie forward. Well, what if I went for a run? What would happen then? And so like you're saying um, with the exercise and so you can work it like with the positive and the negative of motivating you to take actions that'll help you be your best self.
0: I'm all about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, me too. It's hard though. It's challenging, and it isn't easy. And a lot of my clients too will be like, "Well, I failed. I messed up. I drank, or I just let it go, and I, I, I didn't have a plan, and I, or I knew what to do, and I still, I still didn't follow through." And I really think that that has to do of a mindset shift in and of itself too, because. We try so hard to hit our targets and our goals that when we don't, we feel like a piece of crap. We feel like if there's like we're not disciplined enough or we're not worthy enough to go out and try big things if we can't do this. Mm -hmm. And that really messes with your head. And I think the way I like to approach this whole thing is it's a journey, it's all of these experiences that we're having in life are feedback moments. They're like data on a on the plot of your life. And so if it happens, you kind of just look back at it and be like, well, what happened? What was I feeling? What was I thinking? Why did those actions happen? And what can I do next time about it? And one of those things that people really struggle with is that social thing because it's everywhere. And you know, the sign on the door when you walk into the restaurant says, well, it's wine, just drink it. <laughs> and you're like, ah. Yep. So I'm really big on understanding these feedback moments as well as you make a plan. So you get preemptive and you think about like, what are you going to do for that birthday party that's coming up or that music festival or what is your plan of action? And so I use the R3D method kind of sounds like R3D, but (laughs) (laughs) it's a great way to remember it because R stands for revisiting your reasons why. So those things you're getting curious about with your drinking. Like, why do I want to not do this anyway? So you kind of revisit those and get those fresh in your mind a few days before even, I don't know, I have a list sometimes that I pull up on my phone where I've told clients to take a picture of their journal. So it could be anywhere that you're looking at these reasons, your words of why you don't want to be doing this or whatever goal it is that you're working on. And then the three D's. So you decide what to drink, discuss your choices with confidence, and do. You decide ahead of time, what am I going to do if I have an urge to drink? And so when you, when you put this whole plan together, you could take a week, you could take a month, you could take 30 minutes before the party. You kind of get used to doing that, that it becomes automatically a part of your structure of going into any special event. Mm -hmm. And, and so... I think having that plan helps you navigate that those feedback moments, whether or not that you drink or whether or not you were you successful, like you get to like revisit those and stick yeah. to living a life that you want to show up for every day.
0: That's cool. Um, that's very similar to like the way that I coach people, but I like how you're using your why, like, why are you doing this? What's your motivation behind it as a driver? Cause I think so often people forget to think about that. Like they're like, I know that I shouldn't be drinking as much as as I am, but like, I haven't figured out why I wanna stop. And I know like prior to this discussion, we had talked about like how you sort of help people figure that out. And like, we, you have like this gratitude practice and thinking about like, what is different about your life without alcohol and like how you can be gratitude, gratitude, how you can be grateful for the, the single moments, you know, like tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Sure. I think the gratitude practice is like the icing on the cake of life. I feel like, and you get to decide what you're grateful for. And so it really is a way to tap in and tune in to your inner wisdom of how you want to be. It's not like maybe making a list of 10 things, although that is how I started. I would write and I tell people if they're struggling to find anything to be grateful for to make it a routine. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, pull out your phone and write out three things you're grateful for. And if it has to, if you, have, if you can't think of anything, just think of running water <laughs> and how grateful you are that that's in your house, that you're right. able to use the bathroom, that you're able to get a drink whenever you want. You don't have to go searching for that kind of thing because there's always something to be grateful for. When you start developing that habit and you start looking at moments in your life that you are alcohol free and you start being grateful for the experiences that you're having without it in your life, you own those and that's what you end up wanting. You end up valuing clarity, present moment, authentic exchanges with people, that aren't altered. And when you can have a whole foundation built on that and how you're showing up your most beautiful present self and all of the wonderful things that happen because you are alcohol-free or have clarity of mind, then it almost becomes your value system. You no longer value alcohol anymore because it doesn't do what you think it does anyway. And yeah. so living in the present moment and being grateful for that and being mindful of that practice is definitely something that I incorporate with my clients and that I think everyone should just do to live a more well-rounded life based on wellness.
0: Yeah. I think a lot yeah. of it is like bringing ourselves back to that present moment and like learning to be mindful. You know, I look at, I look at my life cause I'm, a raver. And I go out a lot and drinking is a big part of that for a lot of people. And they don't necessarily realize how much is impacting their outside life. One of the biggest shifts that I had when I stopped drinking was that I was able to enjoy that experience so much more because I could remember the conversations I had with people and I could remember which, what set the artist was playing and like just... Being in the moment more without the hangover, without, you know, feeling awful the next day and all of those things just allowed me to be like, oh, okay, this is better.
1: Yeah. And like, imagine you're at breakfast the next day and you get to see the DJ, how awesome it would be to be like, dude, that song you played, it was like this, and then you hummed it back to them. Like, I had the best time during that song. It was so great versus I'm so hungover. Your party was awesome. You know, I think that it gets more meaningful when you're able to engage wholeheartedly. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Was there anything else in the R3D method that you wanted to go deeper into? Tell me about that.
1: One of the hardest things I think that... I hear from my clients, and that was difficult for myself as well, is grappling with how to talk about your choices to be alcohol-free with people who might not understand or super used to you uh, in a different modality. Yep. <laughs> and it can be shocking, you know, it's hard. So how do you figure out what to say? So in the R3D method, one of the D's is to how to discuss your choices with confidence, because you should be proud of wanting to take care of yourself in this way. I think we grow this fear of what other people's opinions are of us. And also so we don't want to make it. Yeah. I and mean, we also don't want to make it awkward for them. And so um, one of the things I actually discovered in myself in this whole journey, it was how much I drank to make other people comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like wild, but if you're out in a social setting and you're like, I don't really feel like drinking, but everybody is drinking and I better join in. So I don't have to be like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. And they're like, what, why not? That's what we do. Right. Let's get it. And,
0: 'Cause if you Make don't it join in, difference. they're like, What are you doing? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh-huh. so I'd be like, Fine, I'll just do it. And so then then I didn't really want to. And so I was realizing like, Wow, I did that? I did that. I sacrificed one of my desires for other people in a non-productive way. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like I was of self-service and being like, Let's go, you know, what do you need help with? Or how can how can I help you through this conundrum you're having? It was like all right, I'm going to drink and make myself feel terrible. I'm going to act like a fool. I'm going to say things I don't mean or I I regret. All of that stuff wrapped up into that. And so I think, though, that goes along with discussing because we're afraid to have that conversation with people. And oftentimes, people don't care. They're like, okay, cool, whatever. You don't want to drink more for me. Or, you know, they don't make a big deal. We make a big deal of it in our heads.
0: I think also it's interesting to note that, like, sometimes people, when you don't drink, they might, like, look closer at their own drinking and be like, oh, Mm -hmm. maybe I should stop, too.
1: And then there's that judgment, too. Like, when you're not ready to confront something, there's, like, this dissonance between maybe not, like, you as a person, but, like, of the idea and, like, yourself. So, you know, your friends aren't judging you for making a good decision for yourself, but they are like, I don't want to do that for myself and I want to keep living the life I want to. But if you are around, you're a constant reminder of how I have to face this myself. And so your relationship's do get a little, they do change, they do get different. And I think that's okay, because the more authentically you show up as yourself, the more in tune you are with yourself, it Mm -hmm. ends up kind of balancing out in the end where you are living the way you want to live, and people start showing up in different ways. But when you go to discuss initially, like, Hey, I'm not drinking. It's almost like you're wearing Christmas lights. And so you're like, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to say this. So what I usually, I'm really big on planning and rehearsal. And so we kind of draft up, like, what are some things you can say in this situation to these types of people or this group that you're in? And so it could be things like, yes, please. I'd love a drink. I would love to have water. Oh, you're not drinking right now? No. Uh, I decided to take a break and I really like how I feel or I'm just not into it right now or I'm in a challenge. Everybody loves a challenge or I'm almost close to making my weight loss goals and I want to stick to it or anything to kind of just... Have a push to be like, I, I satisfied my explanation this round and I'm moving on. When you try to come out with the sob story of like, I was an alcoholic. I didn't want to be. I was Googling it and it was terrible. My family, friends, nobody wants to hear that when you're out at a party. and And that's not really the time or place. And I don't think you really want to be saying that either because you want to like be social, live life, have fun but you have to get over this awkward nudge. And if people are really interested and they're like poking buttons at you, like, well, how come what happened? You must be pregnant. Oh my gosh. You'd be like, look, uh, um, I'm happy to discuss this with you. Um, would you like to go out for coffee so we can talk about it a little more intimately or, or something like that? I don't know if I would use the word intimately with my (laughs) friends, but, (laughs) you know, um, But, like, really kind of just having a plan and, again, thinking it through, playing that movie forward, kind of having this dialogue that you're prepared for, and then you practice it. Mm -hmm. Actors rehearse things for a reason, and they rehearse them in many different situations and, you know, in front of mirrors while they're getting ready. I love the scene in that one Hollywood movie that Leonardo DiCaprio's in, where he's, like, rehearsing in the pool on the little floaty with his...
0: I know which one you're talking about. Um, I'm not going to remember what it's called, though.
1: They rehearse in different ways, so it gets... I think the main thing is it gets in your brain so much that when the time comes, it comes out naturally. Mm -hmm. So you're not, like, verbatim. Maybe you are but it becomes so you get more confident with how you say it the more you kind of practice it and so i work with people on that in the r3d method to kind of figure out what it is that you're going to say to people but knowing no is enough like for a complete sentence because i don't drink yep it's yeah you don't have to explain either and i just i find that people really as much as that point can be made like you you don't have, you don't owe anyone an explanation. I feel like though we we do feel like there are people that are gonna be curious, and I have to I have to figure out what I want to say to them, or else I'm gonna have all this anxiety built up about that moment. And so, having multiple ways to show up allow you to have options to feel confident, to help you embrace, like, this is me, this is my lifestyle. Yeah.
0: It allows you to take ownership of the, of, of your own sobriety and be like, this is what I want to do. And I'm doing it because, you know, I chose to, and I know I feel better.
1: Yeah. And I think the awkwardness for some people is like, nobody even asked me, (laughs) you know, like, When they go to an event or they go to like a normal family dinner where it used to be a big wine thing, one, they realize nobody offered me wine, which makes me feel like, oh, I used to just get it myself. And then two, nobody even like asked, oh, you're not drinking? What's going on? You know,
0: most people don't notice.
1: I think people are just really into their own world. And also as much as you're anxious about it, like we were saying before, It's challenging what other people are feeling, and they might be anxious, and so they don't want to say anything either because they don't want to talk about it because then they'll have to, like, face it. And so, I don't know. There's so many different things that could happen, and that's why I like to work with, like, making a plan. What are we going to say? How are we going to say it? Understanding that you, in the moment you don't have to say anything. In fact, the first person who ever asked me about my drinking was like, I didn't think you had a problem. Do you think you have a problem? And I was like, I wasn't prepared. I didn't know what to say. And so I was just like, high pitchedly said, yeah, I think I have a problem. (laughs) So I wasn't like, (laughs) I didn't feel comfortable. And And it took some time to kind of get there.
0: Yeah. So I talk to people a lot about like how they're going to navigate social situations as far as like what they're going to eat and having a plan is one of those, like, let's do this. So we are prepared when people Mm -hmm. ask us, because they will ask us and potentially. But I also feel like it comes down to like really taking ownership of the fact that you are making this change. And then also like knowing what to have instead. So talk to me a little bit about like, what are some of the options that you could do instead of choosing alcohol or like there's options out there, but it's not always like, if you're not used to it, you don't know what to look for.
1: Sure. Well, starting off, there is always that good old standby of water. Um, And I know it sounds boring, but water is so refreshing. And when you think about how rejuvenating it is, it almost like gives you that energy that you need that thirst quenching energy to get through the day because most you're probably dehydrated when you show up to an event with the travel to get there and all that jazz but you can fancy up drinks even as mm-hmm. simple as water so if you're going to like a bar or some restaurant with a place, that serves alcohol you can ask for your water in a fun glass of some yeah. sort which honestly it just makes you feel like you're celebrating something when you even have your water with cucumber water with lemon water with a sprig of mint at any bar they should have that stuff on hand for you yeah. Just put in your drink and make it make it taste good, make it fancy. And if that's awkward to do in front of the crowd you're in, I usually just excuse myself to use the bathroom and I'll swing by the bar and be like, hey, I'm not drinking tonight. Can you make my drink really pretty? I just want water and a really pretty glass that's garnished to the nines." And then they have fun with it. There's the N.A. beverage market is actually getting pretty big and... It's only going to keep getting bigger, especially with more big alcohol companies joining in on this movement here, which is ironic. But, you know, Heineken Zero is coming. You know, there's all these beers that have like small amount of trace alcohol enough to be called non-alcoholic that are more tasty. So Zero Heineken really tastes like Heineken. There are Athletic Brewing Company that has any beers that taste like pale ale and taste like dark beer, and Guinness Zero actually is really good. But if that's like triggering for you to want to drink, I don't suggest that. However, yeah. there's more options coming out, so all you have to do is ask. Do you have a non-alcoholic beer? And then could you put it in a glass? Right. So you're you're having tasty things. Or, you know, you could um, even just you do a club soda with a splash of any fruit juice. I've done that. That would, and again, like a fun glass, so.
0: I think it's more like about the like ritual of it and like the taste or like, mm-hmm. for me, it's no longer about I need an alcoholic beverage. It's I want a beverage because I want to hold something, but I also want to like actively sip something as entertainment
1: yes and like enjoying the taste your taste buds still want flavor they still want to have a party in your mouth right when you're when you're out you can still satisfy that i think nowadays more than you used to let's say in the 90s where it was just like cranberry juice and club soda It is about the experience, it's about the celebrating, and whatever you discover that you can make at home, you can probably make that at an event that you're going to as well. But if you're also going to like a friend's house for game night or something, bring your own little concoction, you know, that you make or little ready-made drink or like a drink in a can or um, things of that nature. But the NA market is really increasing.
0: That's Um, exciting.
1: There's things. Yeah. There's things called zero proof liquor, which are, they take the alcohol out of it. So You can still have, like, a tequila, but there's no alcohol in it. So you can have margaritas made with it and other whiskeys, and it's interesting flavors. I wouldn't say I've tasted any zero-proof drinks that taste exactly like the alcohol, because that alcohol burn and smell and everything was, like, so so intertwined with the beverage that... It's almost like zero proof liquor, in my opinion, is its own thing. It's its own interesting flavor thing. And so you mix, you use it as mixers and whatnot. But I think you're on, like you were saying, it's like you want to celebrate. You want to still feel special. Part of the drinking ritual was the glass in hand. And I think that, that what you, you can still have that when you go out. You just put it in a glass you like and keep them coming.
0: I also wanted to ask you about how to navigate that initial period of deciding if it's something you need to change and like, You talked about like the different little red flags, but like emotionally, sometimes people aren't ready to face the reality of their drinking. And like, I I just think of some of my family members who probably drink too much and it's habit, it's peer pressure, and it's, this is what they've always done. And I know we're big on mindfulness and intentionally living, but like getting people to a point where they feel like, okay, now I'm ready to make a change.
1: Yeah, it is. It can be very challenging because you want people to see the other side. Like it doesn't have to be this pattern of behavior. It doesn't have to be this way because it's so much different on the other side, but it takes time. It takes people's own personal journey with this. And I do think that you really have to cultivate like a personal development practice and like I said in the beginning like you know my oldest son is turning six next week Mm. and so I've really been contemplating what it what kind of relationship I want with alcohol for that long and I drank before that too and there were moments when I was like what am I doing? And one of the QuitLit stars, I'll say. <laughs> QuitLit is a genre of like self-help where it's where you, it's all about quitting alcohol, and it's different people's memoirs. There's some scientific memoir mm. books and things like that. And Annie Grace wrote this book called This Naked Mind. And she's really big on challenging your thought beliefs. And one of the things that she kind of brings up in her teachings is we put these barriers of where we're going to stay in our lane. Like when you're bowling and you're a kid and you're trying to get out of the, you're not use the gutter. They put those like yeah, um, bumpers like- on them. Right. And so, yeah, we have these bumpers for how we want to, what we find acceptable and what we don't find acceptable. And we try to stay within those, that lane. And when alcohol comes in and we start noticing like my lane is shifting and I'm allowing certain behaviors, like I'm never going to allow myself to drink so much that I have to wake up and drink in order to get through the day. That's not in my barrier. But what is in my barrier is many days of binge drinking over the holidays, spilling into the new years a little bit trying to get back on track maybe for a week or two and going out with my friends and having another binge fest and then getting back on track. And so everybody has their personal barriers. And I think to teach mindfulness, you kind of have to start thinking about, well, what are your barriers? What is it that I'm allowing in my life and what is it that I'm not allowing in my life? And is this still working for me? And that's where personal development comes in. Is this still working for me? And you then have to decide, okay, if this isn't working, then what needs to change? Do my extremes get more extreme? How do I, how do I shift this around? And so I think it's a process. It's yeah. not like, I don't know anybody who was like, I'm done, I'm out. And that's it. Like without having some contemplation about it or some trial and error about what is acceptable. You know, I really tried to just drink at social situations and social settings, as I know many people have tried. But then over time it might work, but then I just kept finding myself slipping into that mommy wine routine or whatever it was for the barrier, like getting back into that side of danger zone. I would just encourage people to Continuously keep pursuing that curiosity and keep questioning is this working for me? Is this serving me? If it's not, then what little small thing can I change? Like mm-hmm. um, James Clear's Atomic Habits. Love that. You know, out of that whole book, if you just remember to try to make changes and get 1% better each day then it really does those small little things, even the habits of thinking. One little thing that you do repetitively, it becomes part of your system. And so if you wake up every day and you wonder, how is today going to, I'm going to show up my best self? And is this showing my best self? Just by asking that question of yourself every day, you are building a new routine. You're building that new pattern instead of just being on automatic pilot. Yeah. Going Well, we drink. That's what we do.
0: (laughs) I think it's very similar to the way that I like coach people to create this new identity of who they want to be. So like thinking about, you know, maybe I'm not the person that works out all the time yet, or, you know, maybe I'm not the person who's sober all the time yet. But if I visualize the person that is like that, then I can sort of start doing the things that that person does. And, you know, it's kind of like, not fake it till you make it, but sort of. It's
1: like an admiration. I get what you're saying. The first book that I read on my Quit Lit journey was called This Side of Alcohol, and an author, Peggy Cooney, wrote it. And the reason why it really spoke to me is because she there are just little journal blips in there about the other side of alcohol and what it took for her to get to 3 years sober through the the ebbs and flows of that that life and so being able to see what it was like from the other side and this is what she was doing to stay sober and stay alcohol free gave me permission in a way mm-hmm. to do it too and i think maybe that's what you're what you're mm-hmm. hinting at as you find this role model of somebody or even imagine what it, what this role model would be like, your, your ideal self, how you would show up, what habits do you need? What, what things do you need to do? And I think, you know, business coaching is like that too. You know, they're like, what's your 5am routine? You
0: know,
1: (laughs) what are the things that you do to stay successful and stay on top of your game? Mm -hmm. And be that person. And then one day you wake up and you're like, I haven't had a hangover in how long? And you just kind of, you're there, right?
0: Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, are you completely sober or are you, do you coach people on like drinking moderately? And do you believe that that Mm. is possible?
1: Thank you for asking this question. So I abstain from drinking I occasionally will have like an NA beer or um, some dealkalized wine if I'm at a special event or something like that. But I don't, I didn't replace alcohol with those NA options. I feel like the more that I learn about alcohol and the more that you learn about alcohol, it becomes very clear that it is difficult to moderate. It is difficult to have it a part of your life. In fact, I only know out of all the drinkers I've ever met in my life and partied with, I only know like three who can moderate. And it's because they've taken a huge break from drinking. And two, they don't value it as mm-hmm. much as most people to be the stress reliever or the lubricant to any social activity. They have fun with it, but it's not like I need it or I want it in my life because that's what the signs tell me to do when I walk in the restaurant, which is so easy to like um join in on, which there's reasons for that. Mirror neurons in your brain. You see something and then your brain naturally is like, oh that's what we're doing. We're gonna mimic it yeah. now. And It's just how your brain works, and so it's nothing to be ashamed of if you find yourself kind of feeling like a a sheep, you know, following the, the drinking crowd, because that's just a natural way, and so when you become more curious and you start learning, you realize, like, maybe alcohol is just not for me, and I think it takes a lot of trial and error And so when my clients come to me and they say, well, I want to moderate and especially with, you know, diets, these, it's not diets really. It's like, it's just moderation is such a, a a philosophy in the way we exercise, the way we eat, the way we live life and our lifestyle, it's hard to go all in. And then, because when we go all in, it's like, then we feel like a failure when we can't do it. So people are confused and they don't they want to try moderating and so if they come to me and want to try that we can ask questions we can review the feedback and we can see if it works for them if it does great if it doesn't we'll move forward from there because like i said it's a journey it's a process it's super personal everyone's different but yet i haven't found i haven't worked with people who have felt satisfied with the way that they moderate because they think about alcohol all the time. And so even that mental space and that burden of thinking about how am I going to, when is my next just one or when is my next Friday or I cannot wait until that the, the mental gymnastics that go around trying to
0: navigate the nagle
1: that moderating thing. And like, even the battle, okay, well, I have one and now I want more, but I can't have more. And it just gets so hard to manage that people often realize through that experience, combined with the knowledge. Of what alcohol is doing to you and then your goals of how you want to live and show up in your life that it doesn't serve you to try and moderate anymore
0: i loved that you talked about trial and error because i feel like a lot of people i mean me included with other things we try and be perfect and mm-hmm. being perfect is just a recipe for failure it's a recipe for you trying trying so hard you've set your expectations so high and you don't reach them and then you end up feeling guilty and like shaming yourself and I think realizing that if if you're not going to be able to like drink moderately getting to abstinence is a journey and like you will have those moments where you will fail and so if you're trying to be perfect the entire time you're never going to get there how do you coach clients to like let go of that need to be perfect and that need to like have abstinence right now? I
1: think part of the reason people want to be perfect, I don't know. I feel like ultimately we want to be seen, we want to be heard, and we want to be valued. And so when we're seeking perfection, I almost, in my experience, have seen and felt that it's because we're, we're not feeling seen, heard, or accepted in our lives. And so if we keep striving and reaching for this one thing, if I have my perfect body or six-pack abs or my house looks like Pinterest or my relationships are, I was going to say the Titanic, but no, that
0: didn't it's, end well. Yeah.
1: My relationships are, you know, just Cinderella or whatever then I will be happy. And I think that that goes back to the present moment and Mm -hmm. being grateful for what is right now. We need to kind of, we don't need to, but when you approach the present moment as like, what can I be grateful for right now? How can I be happy right here, right now? It takes a different tone on how you shape your goals. And so it becomes this, this mix of, Trying to teach mindfulness and what is, what can you do right now to be present in the moment and embrace this journey, Mm -hmm. listening and feeling like, feeling like you're being heard and you're being seen with whatever it is that you're missing in life. And I find that when people are finally connected with themselves and able to express how they really, truly feel, then... It's almost as if that moment becomes perfect, not striving for perfection. And so I think in my practice, yeah, I think in my practice, what I'm really focusing on is trying to embrace that perfection in the moment versus trying to get it from all these other things. And yeah, you should have goals and yeah, you should take care of yourself and yeah, you should strive for things. But in that pursuit, it's almost easy to get lost in the land of perfection that you miss the journey along the way. And then, you you know, years go by and you wish oh, I should have, I should have had more fun along the way. And so I think with people who are stuck on perfection, it's a process, but trying to, to coach through to get to the understanding. I think that's the strategy because we're all here to live awesome lives we're here to soak up as many experiences as we can in a authentic way and i think that i've discovered that alcohol no longer is serving that purpose okay. for me and for people who are ready to say yeah me too i'm done but it it is a drug so how do i change this habit and how long does it take for this to work you know It's just a part of the journey. It's a part of the process of self-discovery, personal development, and trying to show up your badass self. So.
0: I love that. That's, That's very much in tune with how I coach clients with the overeating and emotional eating and like realizing that if you want your weight loss goals, it's a long journey. And a lot of it is not thinking about the outcome. It's thinking about how can I be happy now? How can I be happy with my body now and my habits now and like making those small little shifts daily? Yeah, I
1: love that. Do you ask your clients to like look at themselves in the mirror or have some sort of affirmation practice? Like a
0: mirror practice. It is something I talk about as an option, not everybody likes doing it. It depends like, you know, how they feel. But I do think that like standing in front of a mirror and having those affirmations and saying to yourself, Hey, I love you. You know, I look beautiful today. Having that like connection, because people forget that life is really, you're spending life with yourself. Mm-hmm. You're literally, you're never alone because you're always with yourself. And if you're not creating that relationship, if you're not dating yourself, if you're not having a good relationship with yourself, then it, it's really hard for you to keep going. So yeah, yeah, I'd say, I'd say I help people. We talk about that.
1: That's cool. Because I love it. One of the best advice I ever got when I was in, I mean, this was like five years ago. No, it was even longer than that. But in the morning, one of the first things you should do when you wake up is tell yourself, I love you. And sometimes I'll ask my clients when we're working in small group coaching, I'll ask everybody to kind of think about and share what are the first things you think when you wake up. And a lot of people are like my to-do list or man, I got to go to the bathroom or all of these things that don't have any, they're not intentional thoughts, right? It's just Mm -hmm. streaming and you wake up and here you go. And then I'll ask, like, what if you tried saying something positive about yourself in the morning? People are like, well, oh, <laughs> it's yep. a fun activity to witness people kind of unfold and have that light bulb go off and be like, oh, my gosh, I haven't been talking to myself very kindly at all. And
0: that's really important. to
1: shift. Yeah, very important.
0: What do you find is one of the biggest things that clients struggle with when they come to you? like? through this process?
1: There are a few things, but I think a lot of people who are coming to me are feeling alone. Like they don't have anybody they can talk to about this deep, dark secret or, you know, because nobody goes to work and they're like, I had a bottle and a half last night. How much you have? You know, it's like a very personal thing that we're ashamed of. And So unless you're actually in marketing, because I guess that's like a thing. You go out with your clients and then you wine and dine and then you have the meeting after the meeting. And so it becomes this like big boy show of like who can out drink each other and still be awesome the next day.
0: That's so toxic. (laughs) It's
1: so wild. But I still think that like the people who come to me are feeling like nobody's hearing them and they don't know how to talk about it. And if they do, then because of these mixed messaging, nobody gets it. Nobody gets like, well, you don't have that much of a problem. So why do you want to quit drinking? Here's a drink to shut up and drink. And you're like, ah, I'm really trying to live an awesome life. And so now, now I feel like an alcoholic because I have a problem, but I know like that messes with me. And so I think, The most struggle I see is that people don't feel like they can really figure this out with the people who are in their lives immediately Mm -hmm. right now. They need other people who have been there, who have done that. They do. They need me. And they also need other people who are on the journey too. And... And so that's why there's, I do small group coaching from time to time where there's eight weeks where we really try to figure out how to like live alcohol free. Mm-hmm. And so for me, step one, we can always do one-on-one coaching, which is the best way I think to really get intimate and into your drinking habits and how to change because we get to go through your life as you go through your life to figure out what to do next or make that plan. Small group coaching is a little more focused and so in my 21 day challenge right now you can go self-paced on your own. Through that um, challenge and learn about the science and the re-educate yourself really about what what's happening when you drink because it's not like high school class anymore where we just focused on how terrible it is for your liver. And your liver will get cancer and your liver will die, which I mean it is not good for your liver, but so many other things are going on in your brain. And even your gut biome. There yeah. it like shifts so much in your whole it alcohol soaks through every single cell in your body when you drink. It's not just like you're eating food it is absorbed head to toe everywhere and i think people kind of forget that even though you feel it
0: i mean this is drink tmi it. but after i've drunk the next morning i have like the biggest poops ever and it's because of yeah, that or like
1: there's like a million of them you're like yeah. again <laughs> like jeez yeah so the 21 day challenge kind of teaches you that and i have taken that 21 day challenge and run it in groups before for like you know or sometimes i'll host a dry october or a dry january and we do it in a group setting but you can also do it diy like as a self paced course and then after you kind of get that that background knowledge of what's going on mentally and the different strategies to surf the urge and the habit change. It, it still is like, okay, well now what? Like it's out of my system. How do I like embrace this alcohol centric, culture that has paraphernalia everywhere telling me to drink. How do I get through that part? And so the small group coaching that I do is eight to 12 weeks of us focusing on that R3D method, really like learning about alcohol, some more in depth, how to make strategies and plan different drinks to try all of that stuff in a group setting, which is fun. Also, I host a book club, which Mm -hmm. is really fun. It's a Quitlet book club. You know, you do it a couple times a year, and I have one coming up on um, March 29th. We're going to read the book Drink, and it's about the intimate relationship between women and alcohol. And that is, it's something that culturally we've seen shift over time. Historically, there's been a lot of men having drinking problems, and now women outdrink drink men for the first time in history. And so this book kind of takes like a sociological perspective of that. And Anne Dowsett Johnston, who wrote the book, is actually going to join us for Q&A. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so... I think that's part of that getting sober curious, that part of continuing, like, is this the life that I want? Like, what is this alcohol stuff? And it kind of gives you a new approach to how to think about the intention that you're doing in your life, right? Is this serving me anymore? I really want to support people in showing up their best self. And you really have to decide what that looks like for you. And so I'm not trying to push people into abstinence or moderation. I'm trying to use education and strategy and really just self-reflection to figure out what that life looks like for you.
0: I love it. It's all about awareness. Just building that self-awareness. Totally. This has been great. I feel like we could keep talking for hours.
1: (laughs) Probably.
0: (laughs) I wanted to ask you, where can people find you?
1: So I write on Medium.com, PMAC Insights. I'm also on Instagram at PMAC Insights. I will give you guys the link for the ten strategies to try before opening a bottle, so you can kind of start navigating that terrain if you choose to take a break from alcohol on your own.
0: I'll put all that in the show notes.
1: Thank you. I do publish a monthly newsletter with lots of tips on how to survive the upcoming stuff in the month. Like it's March; it's the transition and the. St. Patrick's Day is coming, spring break for a lot of moms is coming up, which is fun, but it also is very anxiety fueled, which you're like, what do I do with my kid for a week at home? (laughs) Which mommy wine time, all of that plays in. So the monthly newsletter is published and then they're supporting weekly insights on how to kind of navigate through um, some of these topics in a little more detail. So
0: cool. I feel like I'm going to have yeah. to join your book club.
1: <laughs> That'd be fun. It'd Sounds be really like fun. a
0: good read, honestly. And all of the books that you've mentioned, I'm like, I'm going to make a list. Sounds great.
1: Absolutely. The number one takeaway that I want your listeners to know is, you know, I was going to say that alcohol is like a depressant and it actually makes your brain want to do stimulants, but that's like the science stuff. And through this conversation and being present with you, I've kind of felt like the overall arching message that people should really know is that this is a journey and it's about what you want to do in your life and how you want to cultivate showing up your best self. And with that, you have to take a look at your habits and you also have to be like kind to yourself and honor the where you're mm-hmm. at and not get so caught up in the idea of where you feel like you need to be. Yeah. And it's no different from nutrition. It's no different from exercise, body image or, or your alcohol consumption. We really need to show up as our best friend. And cause like you said, that's at the end of the day, we're living with ourselves. So how we show up for ourselves is what really, really matters. Yeah.
0: Agreed. Um, And as we wrap up, I love to ask all my guests, what are the top three things that you're doing to feed your health?
1: Oh, I love this question because it's education. It is mindset, paying attention to my thoughts and how they're shaping my actions and making sure I get outside for some fresh air every day, no matter what. Definitely. Like Brandon and I, it just was snowing, and I can't wait to go outside and smell the snow.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that smell. It's been so long. I yeah. live in California, so we don't have that.
1: Well, didn't you get some recently? Okay, but <laughs> this is different. Oh. I know. It's such a weird year for California.
0: <laughs> well, this is well, great. for
1: having me on yeah i really appreciate you um allowing me to come on and talk with your people
0: awesome well thank you so much for listening today and if you found this useful please share it with a friend and subscribe leave a comment leave a rating or review and i will catch you next time ciao